Okay, so we are going to spend some time this morning looking at the subject of infants that die. Could be uh, through an incident, could be through a sickness, could be as a result of sin. And this will be study number two. And I alluded to this during our first study yesterday. And we are still in London. This is day two of our outreach. Yesterday was a good day. We had uh, some conversations with different people, which we get a chance I will discuss uh, throughout this message, uh, maybe throughout the next few days or so. But I want to start today in Second Samuel chapter 12, an Old Testament piece of scripture, looking at the subject of an infant that dies pre the age of accountability. And you might be surprised to know that Christians are divided on this subject. Where does a child go? The Catholics believed in a place called Limbo up until I think it was 2007 or thereabouts, which existed for infants that died pre-being baptised, not being baptised. It was a great concern for Catholic parents who had children which were not baptised and as a result were unclean, quote-unquote, couldn't go to heaven. The Calvinist view is split. One view holds to the belief that if the child wasn't predestinated, wasn't one of the elect from eternity past, that such is in hell. The other view is somewhat more compassionate, that the child is in glory, has been atoned for. And I remember a conversation over ten years ago that I had with two hardline Calvinists in my town. One was a pastor, one was a deacon. And I was in the middle of these two Calvinist gentlemen. And it was an interesting conversation about what happens to children that die, where do they go? And the pastor was more moderate, but his colleague, the deacon, was very hard very unmerciful, and he said, well, if the child wasn't predestinated, if the child hadn't been atoned for by the blood of Christ, such is in hell. And I looked at these two and I thought, if that's what religion has done for you, count me out. But in Second Samuel chapter 12, we read about an account that affected King David. And in verse 15, we read, And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bound to David. It was very sick. This account concerns David who should have gone out to battle and came across this beautiful woman who was bathing one evening and he said to his servants who is that woman and they said to him that is Bathsheba the wife of Uriah and he said send for her I want to get to know her and she was sent for and that night he lay with her and as a result she fell pregnant and David panicked what am I going to do I got somebody else's wife pregnant I'm the king of Israel. If this comes to light, it's going to be curtains for me. Word gets back to Nathan, the prophet, about what has been occurring. And the child is now very sick. Look at 16. David therefore besought God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. So time is still on the child's side. At this point of the scripture, during this event, in the early days of this young child, it could go either way. And David quite rightly started to pray, started to fast, started to weep, interceding all night, probably on his face, 16, for his child's life. Because he hoped, as you would, that his child would come through this sickness. Verse 15, look at 17. And the elders of the house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not. Neither did he eat bread with them. He's lost his appetite. It's natural. He's got a lot of stress. He's a king of Israel. He's got... 
problems with his own family. He is what we call a carnal Christian. Of course, he's not a Christian, understand, he's a Jew. There are no Christians in the Old Testament, but he's a type of a carnal Christian in the New Testament. The two natures of the believer. And they try to get him up. They try to get him to eat bread. They are concerned about their king in such a bad way. 18, and it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? It's fair enough to say that. You know, we've been trying to encourage him, and now the child is dead. We're fearful of David's welfare. I think David was somewhat of an emotional man, like Paul the Apostle. 19. But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is a child dead? And they said, He is dead. So they've now leveled with him that the child is dead, probably a few days old. And again, this goes back to the incident with Bathsheba, fornication, adultery, which would be grounds for divorce, found clearly from uh, Matthew 19, Deuteronomy 24, verse 20. Then David arose from the earth and washed, and anointed himself, and changed his apparel, and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread for him, and he did eat. That's quite remarkable. He's just lost his child as a result of his unholy union with Bathsheba. Along the way, he's had Uriah killed. He would say to his chief of staff to put Uriah into a battle which he couldn't win. He wanted to eliminate him. He wanted to give the impression that Uriah was the father of Bathsheba's child. But of course, it backfired on him. Along the way, this great man, Uriah, who was a mercenary, who was hired by Israel to fight alongside them, lost his life. If that wasn't bad enough, he wants to give the impression that he's still a righteous king. And I guess it's like this, if we were to look at David and Solomon, or Samson, or other greats in the Old Testament, during their time, we would say to ourselves, he's not saved, she's not saved, look at the way these people are living, look at Lot. But they were saved, and that's what the scripture says, how the Lord looks on the hearts, but man looks in the outward appearance. Verse 21. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. He's moved on. At the same time, he believes in the resurrection. He believes that this is just the beginning. This is very much part one, if you will. It's like an act, like Hamlet, if you will. This is like the beginning. There's still very much to play for. And of course, we refer to that as the next life. But his servants are somewhat perplexed. They see a change in him. They see a a picture of peace to some extent. And he said in verse 22, And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I shall go to him upon death, but he shall not return to me like he on the earth. So David was very clear that this child born out of wedlock born as a result of adultery, fornication, call it what you will, was in a better place. Not limbo, not hell, was in heaven. But of course a child was born in original sin. So one more time from 23. But now he is dead, yes, physically, but alive spiritually with the Lord. Wherefore should I fast? Why continue to fast? Why keep mourning? Why keep grieving? Why keep beating yourself up? Can I bring him back again? No, you can't, David. In fact, to the best of my knowledge, King David never did any miracles a day in his life, nor would his son Solomon. I shall go to him upon death, 
but he shall not return to me. Go to Deuteronomy, please. Deuteronomy chapter 1. So that's a great scripture to show me clearly that a child born uh, through a moment of lust, love, call it what you will, he would later go on to have more children with Bathsheba, one of them being Solomon. I'm also uh, always somewhat surprised to see that the Lord never condemned David for his concubines or his many wives. He condemned David for his sin of trying to cover up his deeds. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Look at verse 39, please. Moreover, your little ones, which you said, should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. Your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil. Born in original sin, the moment a child is born, it starts to scream, and you get to the terrible two stage. Temper tantrums, throwing stuff around the house. You see that defiant look, as every parent has done, in their child's face. Arguing. In fact, I think the first word a child says is no. I may be wrong, but it's normally no. Not yes. It's not papa. It's not mama. It's no. Picture of defiance. Original scene. But that child has no knowledge, 39, between good and evil. They should go in thither. Picture of the... Well, this would be the promised land, but a picture of the millennial reign, also a picture of salvation. And unto them will I give it, being everlasting life, and they shall possess it. Go to uh, Romans chapter 4. I don't know why some Christians have a problem with this uh, subject. Quick, get the priest in. Baptize uh, your child. We had a prime minister some years ago called uh, Gordon Brown. And his child was born prematurely. I can't remember the whole story. And the child is very sick. And he is uh, Church of Scotland, Presbyterian, unsaved man. And him and his wife said, get the uh, superintendent to come from the Church of Scotland. Get the minister to come quickly. Baptise our daughter. And this individual made his way to this hospital in Scotland. A great rush to get them in time to baptise their dying daughter. Days old, no more than a couple of weeks old. Because they thought that if that water didn't fall on the head of their daughter, such will go to hell. Now make that what you will. For me, that is ridiculous. I don't know what sort of God they believe in. But they panicked. And they were of the belief that if you didn't get them in time, he would go to hell. Or that child would go to hell. I remember listening to another account of, a, of an American uh, evangelist who was raised in a Catholic church. And uh, his mother gave birth to his brother or sister, and from memory, it was a pretty messy birth, and the child was sick, and was dying, and the mother was panicking, and there was no priest around, and she said, get me some water quickly, I need to baptise my baby, because if I don't, it's going to go to hell. He's now a man, he's probably in his 50s now, he remembers this when he was, I think, five or six years of age, he, you know, he can see his mother panicking, just given birth, maybe, you know, half an hour ago, the kid's dying, and the mother's panicking. Get some water. Why? Because your kid's going to go to hell. No, he won't. Romans 4. Uh, look at verse 15, please. Because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. So a child gets born. Comes into the world. It has Adam's sin. Original sin. What would the scripture say over in chapter 2? Or chapter 3, I think it is. How we've all sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. We looked at that yesterday. And I mean, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody's good but one. That is God. Because the law, Old Testament, worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. So until a child comes of age, and every child is different, the law can't touch that child. There was a guy in America who wrote some books uh, called Left Behind. His name will come to in a minute. Tim LaHaye. And Tim LaHaye said in his books that when the rapture comes, every child in the world will be raptured. Regardless of the parent's faith, every child in the world will be raptured. It sounds great, doesn't it? But it's not true. And I thought to myself, but if that's the case, why weren't those children spared back in the days of Noah, when the flood came? Or when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed? Why weren't those children spared? The children perished back in the days of Noah. And I mean perished. They all perished. They all drowned. Nobody was raptured. The kids burnt, and I mean burnt, back in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. So why would we be of the opinion that when the rapture comes, the blessed hope, something which we all believe, sitting on this table this morning, why would we be of the opinion that children whose parents are not saved are going to be raptured? And he came out with this view, well, this is what I believe. God is merciful. Yes, he is. But no, I don't believe that. That child, back in Second Samuel, was paying the consequence for its parents' sins. The children of the parents, up to the third and fourth generation, will suffer the consequences of their parents' sin. And part of David's sin would result in his son being struck by the Lord and would die. We just read about it. Down the line, one of his sons would rape one of his sisters. Another son would kill the son that raped his sister. So three of his children have suffered as a result of David's sin, plus a kid that died. Second Samuel chapter 12. That's fourfold retribution. But here... Again, one final time. Because the law worketh wrath. Yes, it does. And we use the law on the streets to witness to people, to convict people. It was John Wesley who said that if he was able to spend an hour with an unsaved man or woman, he would spend 50 minutes on the law of the Lord. The holiness of the Lord to break that person down. And the last 10 minutes on the cross, the mercy of God. And I concur with that. I do that myself. And yet last night... I was able to speak to a young chap outside Euston train station, an Anglican, I think uh, evangelical from memory, who thought our approach was somewhat negative. He's not the first to say that. Many people say that. And I spent maybe 30 minutes going back and forth with him, which was, well, maybe productive, maybe not. I don't know. The jury's out on that. But he wanted me to start with, the Lord loves you. He has a great plan for you. And I said, yes, the Lord does love you, but it's conditional on Christ. And you've got to get saved first for that plan to come to pass. Don't put the, the uh, cut for the horse. Anyway, it didn't, it didn't go anywhere. We had to agree to disagree. But the point is this, that the law works wrath. Ten commandments, you break one of them, you've broken them all. For where no law is, there is no transgression. So before that child comes of age, and every child is different, I know we go to the bar mitzvah account when the kid turns 12, that somehow that child is now old enough to comprehend right from wrong. I'm not sure. I know for the Jews it was 12, but every child is different. Some kids are very bright and they get it at an early age. I remember this chap that I was debating, or this, uh, these two guys I mentioned at the beginning of this message. One was a pastor, one was a deacon. He told me, the pastor, that he wouldn't baptize anybody under 18. That was his policy. And I kind of understand that, because children under 18 blow hot and cold. And most kids, if we're honest, follow their parents' lead. Mum and dad go to church, I'm going to go to church. Mum and dad go to a football stadium. I'm going to go to a football stadium. Dad likes to go fishing. I'm going to go fishing. Dad likes to go hunting. I'm going to go hunting. Kids follow their parents. It's just natural. It's just, you know, it's just way, the way things are. 
But where there is no law, there is no transgression. So I say this, turn to chapter 15, uh, sorry, chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. That the law is in place, that the child is condemned due to Adam's sin, but the Lord has made it possible to pardon that sin. I think it was Jeremiah who says that the children are the innocents. And that is also alluded to over in uh, Matthew chapter 2, when Herod tried to kill the Lord Jesus Christ, and as, was, as a result, massacred thousands. But in Romans 5, uh, verse 13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So sin was in the world from Adam to the law. And if you need to see that, go to Genesis. You've got murder, you've got rape, you've got incest. It's all going on in the first 50 chapters of the first book of the Bible. So sin was in the world until the law was given. Technically, Exodus chapter 20. But sin is not imputed when there is no law, which means this, that a child who dies could be through an abortion, it could be through a miscarriage, it could be through an accident, it could be David and Bathsheba's child, is not going to perish because their sin has not been imputed to them. Christ has died for their sins. And that's why people like Tim LaHaye make a mess of the rapture. The rapture is for the redeemed, those of us which are old enough to know right from wrong. Yes, if you've got a couple of parents who are saved, or one parent who is saved, and they've got children that are under the age of accountability, then you may have grounds for that child to go with you, like Noah, quite possibly. But if you've got two parents who are not saved, and they've got children who are under the age of accountability, who are not saved, they're going to stay on the earth. They're going to perish like they did in Noah's day. They're going to perish like they did in Lot's day. But one saved parent who's got a child or children that are under the age of accountability, I think you may have grounds that they will be wrapped with their parents or parents. And the greatest scripture for this subject is found in Mark chapter 10. Martin Luther, one of the reformers, got justification by faith down and some of what the reformers uh, taught was and is correct like faith alone and scripture alone but every so often those guys would backslide and one of Luther's mistakes was to baptize infants like children young children he knew it couldn't save them but he did it for two reasons number one to keep the parents in the church because he figured, if, you know, if we don't baptize the children, they won't bring their children to church and we'll lose families, which goes into paid ministry. If you lose two or three families, you know, your income's down and you can't really survive with no families. In fact, somebody once said, if you're in a church and there's nobody crying like a child, your church is dead. Every church needs crying babies to show that it's alive. And Luther, good man. Had many problems, yes, we know. Anti-Semitic, had some problems, yes. Wore the vestments, yes. Very much a picture of the old nature. Messed up this whole subject, baptising infants. Christening children, which is not scripture, by the way. And we saw it yesterday from Acts 16. You don't baptise children. You don't baptise an infant. An infant, yes, is wicked through Adam's sin. And we looked at the scriptures this morning. But is given a covering to some extent. A period of grace until they become of age. And in Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 13, it says, And they brought young children to him, they should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. Our rabbi's a busy man. He hasn't got time to spend with children. And of course, they would completely miss the point that Christ came for adults as well as children. Look at verse 14. 
But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For such is the kingdom of God. And I think this, when the final whistle goes, when the Lord calls time, when this dispensation ends, when the tribulation ends, when the millennium ends, when we go into eternity, I think that most people that are going to be in glory forever are going to be predominantly children that died prematurely. In fact, you told me that I think 900 people died in uh, Haiti over the last couple of days. Let's say a 1,000 people. Some of those will be children, I would imagine. Some are going to be pretty young, and as such, they're going to be in heaven. I don't believe that a 7-year-old Muslim boy or a 5-year-old Muslim girl or an 8-year-old Buddhist kid or a 9-year-old Hindu kid is going to go to hell forever. They're still sinful, of course they are. But where there is no knowledge of sin, it's not imputed to their account. They get a covering. And as such, I believe in eternity that most of those in eternity are going to be children that died prematurely, that didn't make it to a particular age, could be abortion, could be miscarriage, what have you. And they're going to pretty much dominate heaven. People like us, who got saved in our 20s, our 30s, our 40s, yeah, that's pretty good. Praise the Lord for it. But most people, especially in the UK, don't get saved. I'm not interested in being saved. So the Lord says, what I'll do is I'll save the kids then. I'll save their kids that are born out of wedlock. I'll save their kids that die in car crashes. You know, I'm going to get me some glory. Otherwise the devil wins, isn't he? Suffer, allow little children to come unto me under the age of accountability and forbid them not. For such is the kingdom of God. So all this talk about getting the priest in to baptise this dying child or get the superintendent from the Church of Scotland in to baptise the former Prime Minister's dying daughter or LaHaye trying to bend over backwards to teach this doctrine that the rapture is going to take everyone up whether their parents are saved or not uh, is foolish it's not necessary yes children will die they die every day of the week of course they do but they don't go to hell there's no child burning in hell today look at 15 verily I say unto you whosoever Shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And that's the key. You've got to humble yourself as a child. You've got to deny yourself. Never mind trying to comprehend heaven, redemption, eternity. You know you're no good. And that's why Job would say that he would repent in, in uh, sackcloth and ashes. In fact, classical repentance is simply this to be sorry for who you are and what you are. And I think that's brilliant. That's a true. Uh, explanation of repentance not just yeah I know I'm no good I'm going to try my best next year no 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 be sorry for who you are and what you are mourn over your sin come to the cross broken whosoever man or woman those that are old enough to comprehend the gospel not children most children in fact are quite open to the gospel in fact most children are quite uh, receptive not hostile not indifferent it's mainly those that are adults that we clash with and yet, last year, around this time, I was in Spain, and these kids came up to me, Islamic kids. They were under 10, maybe five or six of them, young, predominantly boys. They had two women with them, I guess a mother and a friend, and they were congregating around me, uh, firing questions at me, uh, giving me hand, sim- uh, hand symbols, you know, all this sort of business, and, uh, you know, Jesus isn't God. I mean, pretty sad, really. Very much brainwashed and trying to correct me. They're children, I understand that, and they are simply uh, probably mirroring what their parents have taught them. But most children, if they're not in a religious system, are open. 
don't bring much baggage to the table. And yet I will say this again, that my understanding is this, that children who die pre the age of accountability, whether they are religious or secular, I mean, David's kid wasn't anything, a few days old, are somehow spared, are somehow atoned for. I don't believe there are children from religious systems or non-religious systems that are in hell. I don't believe that. But the key to verse 15, and I'll close, is quite simply this, that whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. It's as simple as that. If you don't receive it as a child, you will not enter in. But if you do receive it as a child, you will enter in. And that's why David said, don't sweat it, people. I know my child has passed. I've done all I can. I've prayed, I've fasted, I've wept. My child is in a better place now. And one day I will go to my child and be with my child. Something the former PM couldn't get straight. Something this Catholic woman couldn't get straight. Something millions of people, like this deacon that I debated 10 years ago, could not get straight. But the scripture makes it very clear from 2 Samuel, Deuteronomy 1, Romans 4, Romans 5, Mark chapter 10, that Christ has made it possible to atone for the sins of those children. Not because they're good, no, they're sinful like you and I, their blood is no good like ours, but they are innocent, the law hasn't touched their uh, account, or hasn't been imputed to their account, so Christ's blood is imputed to their account, and they are made holy, they are made worthy, and as such, when... A saved man or woman arrives in eternity, they'll meet their children. They'll be reunited with their children. But if you're not saved and you've lost children, you'll never get to see them again. But that may be a subject for another day.